0: Um, we've been in this series called the Red Letter Series, which is super awesome. I don't know about you, but anytime we start talking about what Jesus actually said, the words that came from his mouth, there's just something so sweet about those passages. Am I right? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So I have a quick question for you before we get With a raise of hands, so who believes that Jesus stepped into history and changed everything he changed the standards of justice with his love with his grace with his mercy with his compassion Alleluia. oh see Alleluia. oh see Alleluia. i'm done we don't even have to do the service today we can all go home no <laughs> no um the, so the red letter series <laughs> i know right right he's more than able we've already heard so excited for that um but the red letter series has been pretty phenomenal um And this morning's topic is a little bit interesting. We're still in the Sermon on the Mount. um, And I found it kind of ironic that this is a passage that God wanted me to speak on. Um, For any of you that didn't know me growing up, a few of you might have. But um, for those that didn't, and I probably still do, um, I've always had this justice streak. I really care very much about things being fair. You know? Um, bless my dad's soul. <laughs> um, that poor man is bald now. Um, but, I, I mean, I did. And I, so I grew up with four as one of four girls in the room, you know, in the household. And so it was very frequent when it was hard, I'm sure, as parents to figure out what the heck was going on, right? But let me tell you, if I was getting in trouble and it was not my fault, everybody knew about it, right? Right? So, just to say out loud, justice was kind of my thing, and it happens to be something we're talking about today. Um, Forgiveness is a little bit harder, right? It is, it is. And it's amazing how the, the devil, he just, he uses some things to create dissension among his people, right? That's his goal. He doesn't want the kingdom to succeed. And so his goal is to divide and destroy, yes. Yes. right? So who on earth would want to have a conversation and a sermon that talks about forgiveness and mercy and compassion and love? Well, not that guy. So anyhow, I know today is going to be a little bit special. Um, I know it's going to be a little unique And for some of us, it's going to be a breath of fresh air. For some of us, it might have a few moments where it's not that comfortable. And so I just encourage us all to press in. Um, Before we begin, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that you are ever present with us. You've been in this room long before any of us walked in. You've already had your way this morning. And we sing, how you are more than able. Who am I to doubt what you can do, God? Yes. And so where there are moments where the devil tries to harden our hearts, God, and cause dissension among your people, God, I just pray in Jesus' name that you open those hearts and you have your way here, God. I pray that whatever comes into my mind, the thoughts of my mind, and the words that come from my mouth, God, I pray that they are in line with your will. Yes, Let nothing come from me that is not directly from you, Lord. Amen. Amen. And may the, what is said today, may the way that hearts are changed, be a blessing that unites your body, your blessed church, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, yeah. All right. So we're going to be in... Matthew 5, 38 through 42, kind of an interesting title, I know, Um, but the passage we're going to be in is the part about an eye for an eye, right? That justice streak that we have. Um, But we're going to contrast that with the new kingdom, the new heart, because there's the old way of the Old Testament, but then there's also the way that Jesus stepped into history and changed things, right? And so that's where we're going to kind of be wrestling with a little bit of both, Um, and so let's... Start off with reading that passage together. So, in verse 38, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them also the other cheek. And in 40, and if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go a mile, go with them two miles. And give to the one who asks from you. And do not turn from the one who wants to borrow from you. So that's where we're going to sit for a little while. And I think what would be helpful for us is if we built some ground, some history, some cultural intelligence as to what on earth was happening and what on earth was in existence that Jesus wanted to change, right? So there was a way in the world that was beyond just, you know, the people of Israel. It was part of culture all around them as well. You find it in Roman culture. You find it in the Babylonians. Um, But this principle called lex talionis. Yeah, we're going to learn some Latin today, right? I put the pronunciation up there so you can all sound like pros when you leave today. Lex talionis. Um, But this principle or law of retaliation that a punishment inflicted should correspond in the degree and the kind of the offense of the wrongdoer, as in an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, Retrib- retributive justice, right? So it was, it was a common practice, right? So if you do this to this person, that's what's gonna be done to you. And that is the same mindset that was all around in that time. And so if that's what you're accustomed to, it's really hard to change that. But what we find happening is in this broken world, not only was it an eye for an eye, but generally, and think about it, we still have some of it today, right? I'm sure you can point to it. But think about it. You insulted my sister. Now I'm going to grab this baseball bat. Right? So this... This passage that was originally found in Exodus was a law that was meant to kind of put some parameters on things. So let's go to Exodus real quick, and we'll read that that particular passage. So it's in Exodus 21, 23 through 25. You can read it in your own Bible, so if you've got a digital Bible, that's fine too. Um, What if there's a serious injury, and you have to take a life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, Hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. So this common law that was visible not only in Israel Israel, but all around them, it was intended to place some parameters on some of that punishment up to equal but not beyond, right? That was the purpose, is to put some boundaries there so we're not overstepping in our anger. And so when we go back to, um, when we go back to Matthew, we're going to kind of break these verses up a little bit and see what it is that Jesus was doing. So in 538, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's that lex talionis that we were talking about, right? But Jesus is about to do something different. And we'll use a little bit from one of our letters in the New Testament to kind of support that a little bit. Over in 1 Peter 3.9, it says... Do not repay evil for evil. Do not retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. So not only did he want those guardrails up, but he's also asking you to go a step further, right? He's asking us not only to not do more than what they've done to us, but to instead... Offer them mercy in return. In 538, it says a slap on the cheek. And there's a there's something interesting cultural here, some cultural history here. So not only was it a slap on the right cheek, and I thought that was kind of interesting that Matthew pointed it out that way, but if you think about that particular culture, there is this high form of disrespect, right? Because if you were to be hit on the right cheek, physically, that would be somebody backhanding you in most cases, right? And in that culture, in that time, that was a high form of disrespect. Not only am I striking you back for what you've done to me, but I am intentionally causing you to have the community disrespect you with this backhanded gesture. So it's kind of an interesting thing that Matthew points to to, points to there, but also in Matthew thirty nine, you hear him say, "Turn to them the other cheek also." Turn to them the other cheek also. Kind of an interesting thing that God's doing here. And in five forty on the next slide there. So if somebody is sued for a shirt, then hand them also your cloak. And again, we see some cultural context. And for that, we're going to go over to Deuteronomy 24.13. Um, most of the law you can find in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. So if you want to do some more research, you're welcome to go there. Um, but in Deuteronomy 24.13, we see this specific thing. We see return their cloak by sunset so that your neighbor may sleep in it. Radically different than what they expected, Right? So suddenly, it doesn't feel as domineering and powerful to the one that sues, does it? Like think about it, like if, if they walk up to you and they sue you for something, in our culture, it generally tends to be more financial, right? It tends to be more money or home or car or something crazy, you know? But in that culture, a lot of their wealth, a lot of their affluence was visible in what it is that they wore. Right? So if you think about scripture front to back, all the way front to the begin, front to the end there, you'll see different things where people talk about clothing. It's significant. It's significant because it's either worn and tattered and dirty or it's beautiful and gorgeous and rich with the blues and the purples and the reds, right? That was how they did that was their distinction among their people. And so for this This law was put into place all the way back in the old law, the Old Testament. So in Deuteronomy, this is here because not only was it just a piece of clothing, but in that context, it's not like it is now. Like at home, I am sure that you have probably at least a dozen blankets, right? That's just kind of how we are now. But in that particular culture, often their cloak, their outer garment, was also their blanket. It's what was used to keep them warm at night. And so even in that culture, if it was a symbolic gesture of, you owe me, so I'm going to hold on to your coat as collateral, the law was that you had to give it back at evening so that they could be warm, right? So imagine that someone sues you and asks for your shirt, but then you're like, you know what, it's okay. And you hand them not only your shirt, but you also hand them your, your coat. Imagine the surprise. Imagine how deflated their anger, right? It was countercultural in so many ways. And in 541, here we see another cultural context, um, forces you to go a mile. And so what that was is in that particular culture, they had this Roman occupation, right? Um, And so... At the time, they had this occupation. And so what commonly happened was the people of Israel, God's people, often were oppressed by those that had the power. And it was very common for them to say, hey, you, come here. You're going to carry this for me. That was a very common practice, right? So can you imagine if if you were the soldier, and you said, come carry this for me. And this person says, no problem, sir. I can carry that for you. I'll carry it all the way to the next town for you. Again, countercultural, a radical shift in the way that we're to respond to the world. Imagine your surprise. In 542, give to the one who asks. Obviously, that's an abbreviation. But we also see in Deuteronomy 15, 8 through 10. This is an abbreviated version. Be open-handed and freely lend to whatever they need. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Amen. And so we see these two different things happening here. We see the old way and, when, and the new way. And so on the next slide, the Old Testament way, Lex Talionis was in. I'm sorry, instituted to curb evil because the hardened hearts of man. And I put this quote up here. I thought it was pretty awesome, um, the way that he phrased it. Um, But it says, God gives by concession a legal regulation as a dam against the river of violence, which flowed from man's hardened hearts. Right, So when he initially gave the law, he didn't give the law saying, this is my ultimate will for you. He gave this law saying, y'all are kind of grumpy. <laughs> I'm going to put these parameters on here so you don't go overboard. Right, So it was a concession. It wasn't his ultimate goal necessarily, but it was a step in the right direction. So I thought that was pretty significant to, to pull out. The hardened hearts of man easily led to retaliation and excessive vindication. God's wisdom gave this regulation to curb that violence until the day that a new kingdom would change everything. So on the next slide, a new kingdom mindset, a new heart. And in Luke 6, 35, we see this same this same event articulated again by another author, and it says, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. I'm going to pause on that one, because I know that one is harder, right? Lend to them without expecting anything back. And the reason that he says this, the reason that Jesus calls this out is because it changes our mindset, it really has nothing to the person who's nothing for the person who's asking. It really has to do with safeguarding our own hearts. Amen. Because if we give something but we're expecting return, yes. it causes this wedge between us and that person. Mm. Right? It puts this expectation, sometimes these unmet expectations yes. yes. that lead to crippling in the relationship. Lend without getting any, expecting to get anything back, then your reward will be great, and you will be the children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. So in Jesus, in Jesus and the kingdom, fulfillment of the Old Testament promises takes place. The new way, the covenant of love, would change everything, and instead of seeing seeking revenge, Jesus' disciples would gladly endure humbly the insult. And these brief illustrations were not intended to imply that we ignore evil, but that we see people through a different lens. I know we've talked about that before. If we see those who hurt us through the eyes of Jesus, we respond differently to those who hurt us. Love holds no grievance. And if we choose to hold no grievance against those who have wronged us, the radical and unexpected love that we show has a kingdom impact that draws others to Christ. Right? It's different. It's radically different. See, Jesus didn't come to leave things the same. He came to change things. He came to redeem things. He came with love and mercy and compassion and kindness and forgiveness. Some things that can be really hard for us at times. I know, I'm one of those. Um, I have a story for you that's a great illustration, because remember, I have a really hard time with justice, so I'm going to let someone else be the example this week, Um, but it's called Mugged by Jesus. Quite an interesting title, don't you think? I was 18, my first year in university studying fine arts. I was coming back on the train, and I had been reading Martin Luther King Jr. for the first time. I got off at Warwick train station, and I was walking over the overpass bridge by, away from the train station in my typical dreamland state. And I thought of Dr. King's talk of the nonviolent resistance of the early Christians. I had hardly noticed the big guy in the dark track suit, and with his sleeves rolled up walking towards me. Still a couple of meters off, he loudly grunted something as he was walking towards me. I missed what he had said, and a little shocked to have Jared's dream world interrupted, I quickly tried to piece together what he had said. I definitely heard the word money, and thinking that he had asked for a few bucks for catching the train, I got out my wallet. Bad move. Lunging at me with his fist clenched and the other hand reaching for something in his pocket, he yelled, give me your money. Well, he actually said some things that you can't really say in front of your mom. And at that point, a number of things went through my head also, which you really can't say in front of your mom. But I had two options. The split option, flight. The only thing about running is that I was wearing my backpack, and with all of my art equipment in it, if I ran, it, this would make my getaway at, fast, at best a fast waddle. Not to mention, he's huge. The hit option, Fight. Only, as I mentioned earlier, he's huge. So maybe I could get in one cheap shot and you know, it would leave him having to adopt later on in life. But more than likely, I would take a shot at him and he would be unaffected like a machine and Terminator who would then transforms me into this puddle of red that used to be known as Jared. I joke about it now, but there's no, there was nothing funny at the time. If you've ever been mugged, or held up, or threatened violently, you know that the shock can be numbing. What next flashed through my head short-circuited my panic. The crazy split-second plans of split or hit, completely gone. But the words of Jesus that Martin Luther King Jr. had been experimenting with, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, the flash of those words in my imagination like warm oil over my head with a tangible sense of this is how God has related to me. And for the first time in the situation, I felt grounded. Have you been there? Have you been in one of those moments where you had to make a decision and God's words just had you feel grounded? Grounded. I'd already gotten out my wallet, and so I reached in, and I gave him what I had, which was only $10. He'd think he would known better than to choose an art student as his victim. I'm still not sure why, but I simply handed over the money and stuck on my hand, and I said, I'm Jared. Wide-eyed and with mouth open, he grabbed my hand and grunted, James. James surprised and confused, I said, no, Jared, to which with the matching surprise, he says, no, I'm James. Oh, I said. There was an awkward pause, and this was by far the weirdest passing of peace that I had been involved with. I noticed his arm then. Caught me off guard. The bruising ran along it. And only by the scarring that it was interrupted, only by the scarring that riveted as punctuation marks all down his arm. James's arm was offered to me like an icon to complete the depth of his pain and the desperate attempts to escape it. He couldn't have been more than a couple of years older than me, and as we stood on the bridge suspended above the freeway, James launched into his life story at a pace to rival the cars passing below. So I think it's significant what's happening here. He's surprised. He's shocked. He's in awe. And something's undone inside this one who was committing the grievance, right? His words seem to overtake each other and then cut each other off at the same time. He said that he was sorry to be doing this to me and that he was in a bad way. He had been doing really well. He was on the program and getting off stuff. And then his mom kicked him out again. Now he was back on the streets. I don't know why, but I asked him to come back to my house and eat and have a shower and get a change of clothes. And I would try to help find him a new place to stay. Another awkward pause. And then through the middle of us, both on the bridge darted a young woman in another black tracksuit with a bag under her arm yelling, Go, 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 we gotta go! It was clear that she knew James and she wanted to get out of there fast. Wait, James, before you go, I shuffled in my backpack, passed my art gear and textbooks to reach in and grab the little New Testament that I always carry with me. It's got my name and number inside of it if you change your mind about a place to stay. But for the first time since I was staring at this big guy's fist, it got ugly again. James got right up in my face and started yelling, What do I want a Bible for? I'm going to hell. His face contorted in anger, and that had an intensity that explained his harm. And without even thinking, I found myself saying, James, we're all going to hell. That's why Jesus Jesus came. Now I know that statement rates low on the theological wow factor and maybe embarrassingly high on the theological cringe factor, but it's what I said. And what happened next, I think, is one of the weirdest experiences of my life. This big guy, who only moments earlier was ready to beat me into a pulp, started crying. I'm not talking one little sad, tear, movie cry. No, no. I'm talking the kind of sobs, the burst out crying, like a little kid does. And suddenly this pain that was so visible in his anger and on his scarred arms and in his situation seemed to burst like a floodgate at the news of God's love for him. As this big guy stood there crying, I honestly did not know what to do. And in the same way that my response had put him off balance, James's tears now totally undid me. I just stood there while he hung his head, and his shoulders heaved, and he wept. James didn't say anything more to me. He snorted and tried to stop the, and the tears that had taken And then he grabbed the Bible and started running. After a few paces, he turned. He looked at me in the eye and waved the Bible at me and nodded. Then he kept running. And I stood there a long moment on the bridge, stunned. Then I picked up my bag a bit dazed, and continued over the overpass. I neared the end of the bridge, and I saw his accomplice jump into the already crowded sedan. As she got in, she yelled to the others, I got a bag! James ran up, and he got in the car, and he yelled over the music, I got a Bible! And they piled in and drove off. And I I walked right past my bus stop. I just kept walking. James taught me that there is nothing that shows the world what God is like more clearly than when we love our enemies. Despite the reality that grounded the New Testament, that throughout the New Testament, the cross is not only how God saves us, it is how we witness to that salvation. I'm aware that enemy love is still scandalous. I mean, who wants a Savior who loves the enemies that we want to kill? Who wants to witness to the God whose love falls like rain on the just and the unjust alike? Who wants a God who longs to heal those who have hurt us so that they hurt no more? And who wants a Christ who comes to us in the pain that we run to run from? Amen. All I have to say is, thank God that Jesus doesn't give up. Thank God that he doesn't give up on me. You know? He's already done some work of transformation in my life that I feel, and I'm grateful each time that I can think and point it out. Like, "Ooh, God, I would have messed it up terrible last time. Thank you for letting me do it right this time. But I still mess up. I still get it wrong, y'all. I mean kind of how we are but I've gotten it so wrong so many times lately life has been hard and it feels like a roller coaster where sometimes I get it right and sometimes the grievance just overtakes me and I have to really get back to truth in my life and so I find myself arguing about the justice that I think I deserve and the justice that I actually desire and God has to ground me again He has to pull me back, and he has to convict my soul. And in the voice of the Spirit that holds me accountable, this really happened this week, y'all. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. In the same manner that you bless, you will be blessed. Ouch! Jesus! That's really hard. Why is it so much easier to see the thorn in somebody else's eye than it is to see the plank in my own. Because you still you still live in a world that's broken. This is why I overcame it, so that you are free and that you have a choice. But Jesus, it's so hard sometimes. I know. How do I be... The salt and the light that you want me to be, Jesus. That is why I gave you my Holy Spirit. Amen. He is the counselor Amen. who guides you. And if you let Him, you will learn to see through different eyes, through my eyes. You will see that bully at school as my son who has been hurt and diminished and told he's worthless by those that he loves, he's crying out because he can't see his own worth. You see the micromanagement of that pesky person at work on your team as my daughter, who is so lost in the chaos right now that they are grasping for something that they can control. You see my son cutting you off in traffic because he struggles with saying yes so much that time management is overwhelming for him. You see my daughter in the drive-thru who holds no warmth in her tone and in her face for you. But what you don't know is that the gentleman before before you in line cut into her so bad and mistreated her. You see my son sitting in soiled clothes on the side of the road, struggling with his trembling hands because life has been hard and has left him homeless and resorting to unhealthy methods to deal with his pain. You see, when you start to see people through my eyes, the grievance has no more power. Because you start to see them with the same mercy and compassion and love that I do, Jesus says to us. And then as you start to see them as I do, you become the salt and the light in this world. And where there is light, there can be no darkness. So this is what I'm asking of you. This is what I'm asking for you. When someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other. When someone asks you to go a mile, go two. See, the new way, the kingdom way, the Jesus way, is radically different, and it calls us to this crazy, radical love that abandons our desire for our own type of justice and instead calls us to a place where we see through Jesus' eyes. Amen. Amen. Now, I know this is hard for us, family. I know it is. The devil works really hard. He does not want his kingdom to advance. And so he what he wants to do is drive that wedge into those places. Yeah. Yeah. But we step into that place where we see through Jesus' eyes. No longer does that grievance hold power, but it calls us to this place of compassion and love and mercy in that radically different new way of Jesus. That's what is salt and light in the world. That's what we're called to. I'm going to pray for us this morning. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful that you don't give up on us, Lord. I'm grateful that each and every time that we get it wrong, you give us another opportunity to get it right, God. I pray that where we are holding on to grievance over another God, that you help us to see through your eyes so that we can be set free from the grief and the pain and the anger that is trying to keep hold on us, God. Seeing through your eyes and letting go of the grievance is more for us and our freedom than it is for the other person, God, but it does show light and it changes the world. Where we have been hurt, God, I ask you to come in and to step into that pain with us, God. To breathe new life into us. There's something amazing in the way that you have created tears in our lives, God. Because when we cry tears, there is something unleashed inside of us that allows us to breathe. And when we breathe, we can be refilled with who you are, God, what your truth is, and the mercy, love, and compassion that you've already extended to us. And so I pray that you help us there, God. You help us to overcome that grievance so that we can get to this place of forgiveness and mercy that you call us to that sets us free. And the way that that light impacts the world, God, I pray that you continue to work into our hearts, even today. And then you continue to invite us into this place, this new way, this new lens, seeing through your eyes, God. We thank you and we praise you for your mercy that you've extended us. And I pray that you show us how to show that mercy to others as the salt and light in this world.